Welcome back to Vulcan Hello, the Incomparables Star Trek Discovery podcast. Yes, I'm still calling it Vulcan Hello. Jason Snell is on shore leave, but I am joined by the none other than Dan Morin. Dan, thank you for joining me. Uh, it was a pleasure to be in, Scott. Oh, I see what you did there. Little Star Trek reference. Little Star Trek uh, reference. Try to establish your your book <laughs> my face, as That's we right. say. I have credentials. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, I, I sure I'm sure you're all uh, a Twitter about the uh, Star Wars trailer coming out tomorrow. But we are here to talk about Star Trek Discovery. We I did the a, homework. It's cool. All right, you watched the episode. The episode that we are going to talk about is uh, the butcher cares not. The butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. Which is um, kind of a, a very original series title yeah, for an episode. I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> uh, so clearly, you know, we've heard a lot of reports that the writers and everyone involved in Star Trek Discovery is huge, uh, are huge Star Trek nerds, and they put a whole bunch of, uh, well, hopefully they would be, they put a bunch of references to many things, Cardassian voles, Gorn skeletons, uh, and such in uh, Captain Lorca's uh Menagerie. Uh, that's right. Cadaver pit. <laughs> uh, but you know, so it's nice to see that they're they're taking poetic license uh, with the um, the titles, and I suppose that the uh, the butcher's knife here is the spore drive, and the lamb's cry is the poor tortured animal that they Aww. use to power it, and they do not care. FYI. Uh, according to Memory Alpha, this is the oh. second longest oh. of all of Star Trek's titles, slightly shorter than For the World is Hollow right. and I've Touched the Sky. Well, there you go. Step up to mm. the plate, Star Trek go. Discovery writers. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Add a couple letters. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Uh, but, Dan, this is the first time you've been on the podcast, so quickly, I just want to get your 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 thoughts about the first four episodes of Discovery, and then we'll jump into this particular episode. Uh, my thoughts are on the in general. I've been really pleased with this show. I love moral gray areas, and I know that not everyone is a fan of that in their Star Trek. But for me, because being a uh, as you know, Scott, a DS Nine fan uh, and a Cisco uh, aficionado, I really love me some moral gray areas, and I feel like this is uh, really exploring some interesting ideas we haven't really seen done with. I enjoyed. Um, the twists and watching this unfold, this show is not proved to be what I thought it would be, and I find that delightful. I, it's it's so nice to be surprised uh, by a, a show, and especially something like Star Trek that's been on for obviously so long in so many different formats. Yeah, this doesn't feel necessarily like your classic Trek or even uh, you know Next Generation or even certainly parts of DS Nine, but like to me. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with exploring. There's, it's a big universe. There's lots of other crevices to explore. So I've been enjoying that. I've been enjoying the characters and then trying to sort of pull together the threads of what exactly is going on here. And I think this episode actually does start revealing more and more detail. Like, I feel like it's starting to come together a little bit here. And we're starting to, now that we have like a platform established, launch into the next chapter of this story. Yes, they've, 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 
laid the groundwork, and now they can tell the story that they want to tell. And this story struck me as kind of a typical Star Trek story uh, for this episode, with a twist. Obviously, the, like mm-hmm. they have to solve a problem, mm-hmm. which is is clearly what Star Trek is all about. They they solve problems and they discover new things. So Burnham solves this problem of this thing, uh, although the the solution uh, at the end is, you know, torturing an animal is less Star Trek-y, so that's kind of right. a twist. But, there, but there's a moral question about it, right? Like, you know, at least it's not, you know, they could have just been, you know, the storytellers could have chosen to make a story in which they, they harness this creature's ability, and the creature is totally on board with it, <laughs> it's like, right? And, like, it's up. like, yeah, everybody's happy. Uh, and they didn't go that way, and, you know, there should be some interesting conflict and questions here. And I understand, like, you know, Questions like exploring new planets and meeting new life forms is all very fun, but I, I also think we need to delve into the human condition and and ask ourselves these hard questions here. Like, is this a worthwhile trade off? What are you know? Uh, what are do the 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 ends justify the means, uh, or do the needs of the many outweigh in, the needs of the few? Indeed. Tomorrow. To quote uh, a Vulcan we all know and love. Uh, Michael uh, Burnham's brother, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Stepbrother, I believe. Step, yeah. Fair. <laughs> uh, speaking of Michael Burnham, that's what we st- we start off this episode, and you think, what am I seeing? Because it's a bunch of uh, arcing, seemingly like plasma arcs, so you think maybe it's just like uh, V'ger, are they some kind of space <laughs> anomaly? What's going on here? Uh, turns out uh, Michael Burnham's got a new uniform, and we're watching it form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was, well, this is the good use for your replicators, I guess. Do they have replicators? I assume so. They have, well, they certainly apparently have synthesizers. uniform synthesizers. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and they never said on the original series that they didn't have uniform synthesizers. Yeah, where, where do you think they so. were getting all those shirts? Like, the red shirts don't make them, <laughs> like, you know, they don't, like, knit their shirts or, like, weave them on cotton looms. <laughs> That's true. They always seem to, like, whether they were beaming down to a Nazi planet or a gangster planet, they always seem to have the right uh, apparel. They were, so. they were equipped. So, every, uh, Star Trek nerds, calm down. It's okay. <laughs> this uh, has been the Star Trek nerds calm down portion of this podcast. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and then, so you, now we know, ooh, Michael Burnham has accepted a position on the mysterious USS Discovery, and uh, she has no rank because she is a dirty mutineer. Mm. And nobody likes her, but she's useful. And Captain Lorca, as we find out, uh, collects useful things. I Indeed. Think what, and, and, you know, Captain Lorca, it seems it's not super popular on his ship, but we can we can get to that uh, <laughs> yeah. later. <laughs> Nobody seems to like poor Captain Lorca. Uh, and so, speaking of uh, poor, she, uh, uh, Michael Burnham's checking out her new uniform. Uh, in walks uh, everybody's favorite Barkley uh, analog, uh, Tilly, and she has a, a little case with her that is apparently... Captain George's last will and testament. <gasps> oh no! Which or, is how they end the episode with it opening. At least part of it, I guess. I, I would assume that's not the only thing. That <laughs> <laughs> I guess. And uh, spoiler alert: uh, we're going to spoil this whole episode. So if you haven't watched it, uh, don't listen to this podcast until you have. Uh, at the end, we find out in that case is a telescope. And I'm, I, there was a telescope in Captain George's yeah, ready room. My, is that the same telescope? So my girlfriend and I were discussing that because she she predicted quite accurately, uh, like when we started out, she thought it was the telescope. Like we were talking late, uh, like when right before she opened it, I figured it out right beforehand because I'm like, it's the only item of significance we've seen, and they mm-hmm. do show you that the when um you know Volk is on the the Shenzhou later in this episode, the bracket for the telescope is there. But the telescope uh, is not there. 
But I guess so, that raises a lot of questions about, I guess somebody <laughs> took it with them? I, who would have taken it? And my other question is, so, okay, I buy, you know, you're abandoning ship. Maybe he says, oh, Captain George, you really like this telescope. I'll take it with me. Uh, but then why does Starfleet, like, uh, create this plaque that explains what a telescope yeah, t- I is? I like that. <laughs> I was wondering if maybe it was, like, maybe she had, like, a lot of telescopes. <laughs> like, she was a telescope collector. Like, she had a room like like Lorca's, but it's just, just full of telescopes. Just telescopes <laughs> everywhere. And this is her least favorite telescope. Yeah, so she, yeah. You know, every every previous officer who served with her got the exact same <laughs> message with the telescope in it. Oh, that's what you call the Georgiou maneuver. <laughs> it's, it's a telescope. Anyway, so that's the, the, the exciting end of this episode is uh, Burnham opening a case and it's a telescope. Uh, which you know, most of the episodes have ended with like a, a big plot twist or a cliffhanger. This one, uh, not so much. Uh, which I think is good. Not every Every episode can end with like a shocking twist. So, right. uh, although this episode does have a surprising moment in it, which we will get to at a moment, uh, or maybe not a moment, who knows? But uh, so, Burnham, off she goes. Uh, she has she's wanted it on the bridge. She goes to the turbo lift. Uh, she doesn't actually call for the turbo lift, but it arrives anyway. Details they don't really matter. Uh, and who is on the turbo lift? But good old Saru, who I think may be my favorite character. I enjoy Saru quite a bit. He's great. And he has uh, threat ganglia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like this detail. Um, they do say threat ganglia like four times in this scene. <laughs> and as you figure out later, uh, it's for a specific reason. Yes. Um, that it's the, uh, it's the opposite. It's Chekhov's threat ganglia. Chekhov's inverse <laughs> threat ganglia. That's right. Uh, and so they have a little scene where he's like, you know, you're not supposed to be here. I don't like you, uh, being on my ship, uh, but my captain. And this is where, once again, you know, the first episode, the previous episode, we've met Captain Lorca. Uh, there are many questions about Captain Lorca. This episode does not answer any of those questions, but it kind of confirms that he is perhaps a, a, a morally ambiguous character. Uh, and everyone right. knows it. He is a, he is... I think we learn a lot more about him in this episode in that he is a he is a tool. Uh, not like saying like pejorative. <laughs> he's a tool. He's a total no, tool. He's, he's a little bit of a tool. He is um, a little bit. Uh, but he is, you know, I think the, the interesting analog is made when Lorca brings um, Burnham into his little menagerie mm-hmm. and is like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I you study, you know, all these people are scientists. I study war, right? Like, so he is... He is a soldier, and I think probably the last captain that we've had who really fit that mold was probably Cisco, right? Like, he is a wartime captain, mm-hmm. and he is probably not the guy who's usually out there doing all the stuff Starfleet needs to do, but he has proved himself useful in a military capacity, and because this ship is sort of, as he pointed out, they call it the tip of the spear, you know, he is the one who's been dropped there because he is the one that can serve that purpose, but he is not you know, in other times, he would not probably be the captain assigned to this crew. <laughs> mm, probably. And I have a feeling, because they, they mention a couple times that the USS Discovery was a science vessel, uh, and now it's a war vessel. I have a feeling he wasn't their first captain. Yes. And he got reassigned to this ship because uh, it has this, you know, spore engine or whatever the heck they're calling it. Uh, spore drive, is that what they're calling it? Sure. Let's call it spore uh, drive. Or fungus warp engine. <laughs> 
Uh, and so it's full of fun it. guys. The ship is it, full of fun true. guys. You know, uh, tools and fun guys. That's that's what the ship <laughs> is full of. Uh, and so it could pop anywhere if they get it right. You know, instantaneously. And so now it's a weapon. So Lorca's there to whip these these soft scientists into shape and uh, win this war. Gosh darn it! Mm. Uh, he would probably use harsher language, one imagines. But anyway, so. Uh, uh, Saru and Burnham have a nice little exchange where he basically says, I don't trust you, but Captain Lurka collects useful things, and you're a useful thing, so... And he keeps his own counsel. He didn't ask me. Yeah. Uh, and then they, they come out into the bridge. Oh, no! They're being attacked by Klingons. Very tense. I did like this scene a lot because it's... Uh, I feel like they... they on the uh, Enterprise D with Captain Picard, when things were under attack... Uh, it didn't feel all that uh, exciting. There was mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, laid-back orders, raise the shields, fire some phasers, everybody's cool. But this was a, this had a frenetic energy that I enjoyed. Uh, but spoiler alert, they all die. <gasps> because, but it's, it's a simulation, uh, so everybody's fine. But Lorca's upset, and he's like, uh, everybody, this suck. you suck, uh, you all did a poor job, we're all dead, do it until you do it right. Uh, and then he leaves with Burnham and takes her to his uh, little zoo, his menagerie of creepy things. And this is where she discovers that he has stolen, well, I guess not stolen, but uh, collected the monster from the Glen, and he wants her to figure out something to do with it. <laughs> I, I really like this plot because it starts off going in one direction, and I felt like it was actually a pretty good red herring. Um, that like, so, you know, Lorca wants her to figure out this thing, you know, killed a bunch of Klingons. It seems to be invulnerable to phaser fire. Like these all seem like things that we need for military applications. And obviously, and Burnham is a xenobiologist, despite like what we've seen of her in previous episodes, you know, we know she's just generally sort of a smarty pants, but her specialty, as we learned in the first episode is xenobiology. So this does actually make a lot of sense, right? Like Mm -hmm. she's the, the right person to be studying this creature. And based on what we know of Lorca and what we know of his sort of assignment, it makes sense to try and figure out like the military applications of this thing. But I like that it goes, like, that's where it starts. <laughs> and right. then they go in a very different direction. Burnham has very different ideas about what her job is to do, because she is, despite being uh, Starfleet's only mutineer, apparently, uh, <laughs> to this point, she is still a Starfleet officer. And she feels like, we are making first contact with this alien life form. Why don't we try to understand why it's doing it, whatever it's doing, instead of assuming uh, that it is uh, hostile and that we should, you know, lop pieces of it off to figure out how to kill Klingons more effectively. Uh, which uh, turns out to be the right thing to do. Uh, and so she is, you know, poking around and she is joined by uh, character Landry. Uh, Landry, yeah. Who I like a lot. <laughs> my, I, I got attached to. <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend was saying the same thing. Oh, I really like her. <laughs> And uh, she doesn't last very long in this episode, and I guess this is where you understand uh, maybe this is not a normal Star Trek series. Game of Thrones rules apply. (laughs) That's right. Don't get attached to any of these characters, because uh, Landry and Burnham have a nice little scene where Burnham's talking about, you know, the importance of uh, discovering things and first contact and all this stuff, and Landry says, boy, I really hate Vulcan proverbs. Uh... Let's, you know, lower the shield, and uh, I'll chop off its claw and shoot it and see what happens, <laughs> which seems like a bad idea anyway, and I thought to myself, yep, this is not going not to be a good idea. You, are, you already found that you can't, like, kill this thing with, <laughs> yeah, like, it, yeah. 
it didn't make any sense because she's the security officer. It rampaged across the Glen. They shot it with multiple phasers, and it didn't do anything. But her plan is, I will shoot it with phasers. I shoot with a better phaser. <laughs> <laughs> the one that uh, Captain Lorca keeps locked behind. Yeah, it must be super fun. Yeah, I mean, like, she's lucky she didn't accidentally pick up a telescope, is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Although the telescope would have done just as much to save her life, because Indeed. they lower the shield, out comes the, uh, the, the thing, which they call, I forget what they call it. It's, they refer to it, well, they, they name it Ripper. Oh, that's right. She calls and, it Ripper, which I think is dumb. Burnham points out that it's similar to a tardigrade. And if you don't know, aren't familiar with tardigrades, they're delightful little water bears. They're little microscopic animals. That's right. And, and they live all around you. Indeed. Right. There's, there are, you are never more than six inches from a tardigrade. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but this is a tardigrade. They, they spent some time talking about how that is a microscopic organism, but this is a macroscopic organism. And how are we? How did it get on the Glen? We don't really know. They never really... I have a theory, and I want to see if you came up with the same theory. I think that it has something to do with uh, uh, a rogue named Mud. Mm, I think that is possible. I think that it also, we both, uh, both my girlfriend and I were thinking it was a microscopic creature that got like oh. macroscopic by something with the but, weird drive. That was sort of our working theory. That's also possible. I did think that. But then in the uh, the preview for the next episode, yes, they, spoiler alert, Harry there Mudd are some other things appear. that could be going on. <laughs> so who knows what's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, so she says, oh, lower the shields. I'll chop this thing off. It'll be great. Or its claw, not its thing. <laughs> uh, and uh, turns out uh, Landry dies. And uh, uh, Burnham, oh, we find out that it does not like bright light, much like Captain Landry. Uh, Captain uh, Lorca. Lorca have to get all these characters names right well not landry she dead well that's true she r.i.p pretty pretty landry. brutally too right like we had a scene earlier is that bef- i think that's after the scene where they try to make is that after the scene where they try to make the first jump uh because i thought I we had already the... seen the sick bay at that point and then they transport her to yes, sick bay yes I we met our doctor very briefly Yes. So yeah. So while this is all going on, there's another plot where uh, the Klingons are attacking a dilithium mining planet uh, that apparently produces forty percent of the the Federation's dilithium. That's crystals. a lot. Uh, which is a lot. Seems like you know all your dilithium crystals in one basket. Maybe not a great idea. Uh, and the Klingons clearly it is of strategic importance. Uh, apparently, Starfleet did not have enough ships around it because the Klingons destroyed them all and is now attacking uh, the the. Uh, the colony and given uh and the discovery is the closest well it's actually not the closest but it's the only ship that can get there in time they have what seven hours until their shields uh fail and the clear the closest ship is 86 hours away something like that yeah no and then, and then Captain Lorca comes down to engineering. And he's like, eh, "Make the fungus drive work." And Stamets like, eh, "I don't know how do we can't do that." Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "Make it happen." And leaves in grand captain fashion. Uh, and he's like, "Okay, fine." And they try. I uh, guess what? Not so good. We, we, also, very cool. we, we learn that there are. Oh yes. There is a missing piece from the drive. So he's trying to piece together what his buddy was doing on the Glen, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Well, we've got this like weird piece of equipment, <laughs> and we've got like half a navigation chart, but we need mm-hmm. a supercomputer, and yes. we could not find this supercomputer anywhere on the Glen, or we didn't, we didn't certainly didn't see one. Uh, and so, yeah, right now when they try to make a jump, they end up basically almost flying into a sun." <laughs> Happens Which to all is, of us. We've been there. Suboptimal. 
the most exciting thing that happens in this episode for me is that you learn that the USS Discovery's uh, saucer section spins. spins. That's awesome. <laughs> I really dig it. I really like the animation for the spore drive. It like the way it sort of like spins and then the whole thing like twists, which is mm-hmm. I think to explain how they all ended up, all the creeps on the Glen yeah. all ended up like twisted. Yeah. So I really dig that effect. I think it's cool. I understand someone's going to complain about it, but I think it's awesome. (laughs) Someone most assuredly is going to complain about it, but... (laughs) I like it. Uh, I like that the the saucer section spins because I I did wonder why does it have two different like sections? concentric but rings? Yeah, because the one of them spins and the yeah, other doesn't. Naturally, it makes perfect sense. Uh, yep. So they they are. Oh no, they're in a star, which was exciting. And you think maybe they'll spend some time trying to get out, uh, but they just you know like fire their engines and uh, off they go. Except the only problem is the only thing that happens results from that is that Stabbit gets his head. Uh, knocked into a console, and then he has to show up at sickbay where we meet the doctor for the first time, I think, maybe? Or yes. Was... I, I, if we saw him before, it was only very briefly. And I don't even remember his name, which is... I fun, don't remember but, if it's uh, given. Yeah, I, I have to look it up. But he's he's wearing white, which seems uh, maybe not the greatest color for a doctor to be wearing, but uh, he he fixes up Stabit. Uh, Stabit is not happy, but... Uh, and this is... Is this... Stamets, Stamets, and the Doctor are in a relationship. Is that right? I thought so. It was not made it abundantly not... clear here. Yes, um, but I they remember. do He's have in a relationship with somebody. Yeah, they they have a rapport that feels kind of like that. Yes, uh, so maybe they'll rec- you know uh, explore that in further episodes. But he gets fixed up. He's unhappy, uh, and uh, what I think Lorca visits him and basically is like walk it off and make it work <laughs> right right <laughs> and he's like okay uh oh well this is a good episode a uh, good episode a good moment too because Lorca is like we're a ship of war and stamus is like i am not a warrior i'm a scientist and so Lorca says all right get off the ship <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he's like i'm gonna take everything with me and he's like no you're not we own all of this we have patents yeah. on everything your your work is not your own when you work for starfleet <laughs> indeed that's right you signed it all away Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no no concept of personal property in uh, this century anyway, so uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. deal with that. That's so he's sad, but he goes back down to figure out the problem. Um, and this is when, I guess, uh, simultaneously, Burnham is still in uh, the, 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 you know, the zoo poking at the, uh, the big uh, water bear. Um, and uh, she figures out... Because that's the first jump. The thing goes crazy. She thinks there must be a link between the fungus and this thing. Uh, so she has uh, what Tilly steal some for her. and uh, Or borrow, I guess. I don't know if it's really stealing. And it turns out that the this thing likes to eat it. Or talk to it or something. It's unclear to me what it does with the spores. It just likes them. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, uh, it finds them tasty or and or delightful. <laughs> Either way. Or, yep, both. Who knows? Uh, and so you think, oh, there's a connection here. Uh, and uh, I can't remember if this is when she goes down to engineering and says to... St- or brings Stamets... At some oh, point, she brings you- Stamets to the, to the menagerie. Oh, that's right. It explains what's happening. Right. Uh, and he says, okay. Uh, although he doesn't believe it, for the most part. And then uh, he... What, they beam... The the thing, the in, ripper into the yeah. into the in, into forest. their 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 mushroom forest, sure, and it seems happy, 
And Stamets is like, this is amazing. It seems to be talking to the spores. And I have no idea what they base that on. <laughs> uh, but I guess, uh, what's her name? Uh, Burnham is, has a tricorder out. So she says, oh, and they're exchanging I, energy. FYI, I really dig that the, it like is reminiscent of the classic series tricorder. Yes. Uh, in that it's gigantic. Uh, <laughs> and has a little, and has uh, a little probe thingy, thing. wand yep. dealy. And, uh, and of course they have the old school communicator too, which I'm a big fan of. I love that yes. thing. The props uh, are, are, many people have many problems with the seemingly odd technology that happens in Discovery. But the props, the phasers, the communicators, the tricorders, those all make sense. I feel like those are great. Yeah, I mean, you know what? And I remember, I think you guys mentioned that briefly in your first episode. And I wanted to mention that it is used... Um, the hologram thing does exist in DS9. There, it's, it exists in like three or four episodes because Eddington uses it to talk oh. to Cisco on the bridge of the Defiant. And there, there's like a whole bit where they're like, we installed this new hollow projector thing. Um, <laughs> and I was like, that's hilarious because that is a thing way later on for like four episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, this is too expensive. It's Just, too expensive. Uh, back to view screens. Back to view screens. And there are some view screens. There's mixed usage in this show. There's some view screens. There's some holograms. I guess you have to decide. It's kind of like when you're on a Skype call and you have to decide, do I want video or just audio? Um, And you don't want to... If you're expecting just audio and you get video, it's very surprising. So everybody needs to be on the same page. Lots of questions. But yeah. I have many questions. Other than that, that I like that. And I am a fan. I I will put myself down as a fan of the uniforms. I know there are people who are very angry about the uniforms. (laughs) I really like the uniforms. I like that they're subtle. They don't feel ridiculous. And yeah, I know they're not the original series uniforms or, or the uniforms from the cage if people want to get really, you know, picky about that. But whatever. <laughs> and I they think, do. I think they look cool. They do look cool. And one of them, I was just having uh, a Facebook, uh, well, no, a college friend of mine, Facebook messaged me just like two hours ago. And he said, I watched the first three episodes of Discovery. And people tell me it's supposed to be a prequel to the original series, but I do not understand how this is possible. And my response to him was, uh, it is a TV show. That is made now to be played <laughs> on giant TVs in HD that they couldn't even think about in the 60s. And that's why it looks like the way it does. Yeah, uh, that's a pretty good answer. I'm on board with it. Uh, it doesn't really make any sense within the Star Trek uh, internal chronology. Uh, I mean, unless- you, maybe they're a, diff- they're a science ship. Maybe they're science uniforms. I don't know. Well, maybe. But they have the same ones on uh, the uh, Shenzhou. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I mean, which was also kind of a science ship. I don't know. I, I mean, guess, I don't know. there are also multiple that. branches of military have multiple uniforms. And in fact, single branches of the military have multiple <laughs> uniforms. So you know what? This are their science uniforms. These are the uniforms they wear on alternate Tuesdays. I don't care. It's fine by me. <laughs> I don't really care either, but people get upset about it. So, uh, And it doesn't really make any sense, but I don't spend much time thinking about it because it's just a show. And maybe mm-hmm. you should just relax. Uh, <laughs> to quote uh, Mr. Science Theater. So we've got our we've got our water bear who uh, and once they figured out that it likes the fungus, I thought to myself, well, now I clearly know where this is going. Yeah, uh, and in fact, that is exactly where it goes because the supercomputer that the Glen was using is in fact this creature, uh, and so they they uh, they I guess they beam it into like the glass cage the contain- that they containing have. unit. I think they call it. I don't know what it is. And uh, the, the equipment that they gathered from the Glen but couldn't figure out what it does uh, is apparently automated because as soon as the, the thing appears, it gets locked in and, like, 
I felt like things shot into its arms or something. It didn't yeah. seem pleasant. It looked bad. It didn't. It didn't look good. Uh, but the upside is that uh, that it unlocks uh, the entire like map of the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, they leveled up. It's cool. They did. It's it's very cool. And now they can they can jump wherever they want. Uh, and so they jump to above this uh, uh, mining colony, and then we get a, a brief glimpse of. Uh, uh, I think they they show like a, a clock counting down with the the shield energy yes. uh, with like two seconds left. They, they knew exactly how long before the shields failed too, which I think was a kind of silly when they're like, oh, we you know like there's exactly this much damage is being done to the shield and they can last exactly six hours. It's a simple calculation. Yeah, everybody knows uh, that. And, and so for we see the last two seconds, the shields fail. We see three or four Klingon birds of prey swoop down and, you know, rain holy heck down on this, this colony. Uh, you hear some kids crying and everybody's sad. But then, out of nowhere, appears the Discovery. And the cool uh, fungus drive animation. Uh, and they blow up two Klingon bird of prey, which apparently not that hard to blow up. Um... And then Captain Lorca's like, uh, you know, full stop, uh, because he has a brilliant plan, which seems kind of ridiculous to me, but, uh, and his brilliant plan is to let the Klingons get very close, and then they will fungus drive away, but leave photon torpedoes? Is that what it was? Sure, I I think so. (laughs) Which seems like, I have questions about this, because they are in the atmosphere of a planet is that right yes it does seem to be an atmosphere and so they just kind of leave them hovering above the colony that they're going to try and save which would make me think that gravity would make them fall and then explode right above the colony it seems like a bad idea timing timing is important i guess Uh, so i wondered i wondered a little bit about the motivation and i kind of i headcanoned it which is to say you know they are still working on this drive and they don't want the Klingons to know that they have it or anybody to know. So they like to kill everybody, right? They pop in, they kill all the Klingons and then they pop away before like we get them very clearly because all the people they saved come out and are like, Oh, who saved us? And there was, there was, I don't know. Maybe the Klingons (laughs) just blew himself up. I don't know. (laughs) Something they do. Um, and Uh, it's worth pointing out before this point, you mentioned the, like, uh, called like the audio of all the, uh, people on the colony that Lorca uses this to Mm -hmm. basically, you know, he basically broadcasts it over the ship. So that he can figure out uh, what it like, he can basically guilt everybody into <laughs> going along. Them. Yeah, going along with his plan, and that this is mirrored in a great scene where Burnham brings Saru to the menagerie under the pretense of uh, like, yes. I want you to look at this creature with me, but really mm-hmm. just is using his whole like um, super prey power. To determine yes. that the creature is not a predator, and then Saru has a comment about how he, uh, Burnham and Captain Lorca should get along just fine. That's right, because they have no problem just using people for yeah, their own I, ways. Right, they're both very manipulative, although in in pursuit of different things. I think yes. right, like he's you know Lorca's in pursuit of getting his way and like using. He really is a. Uh, you know, ends justifies the means kind of person. Like, I'm going to do whatever uh-huh. it takes to win um, because I need to save Starfleet. And Burnham is similar, but, like, basically from a more rational, logical standpoint, which, you know, maybe that's a distinction without a difference since they're both sort of accomplishing the same thing. Um, but I do think that they have different... 
you know, uh, slightly different end goals slash motivations, but they are definitely both on the side of like, I basically can comport myself however I like, as long as I end up with what I want. <laughs> exactly. And I've said this uh, in the last episode of the podcast, but Lorca reminds me very much of Peter Weller's character in yes. uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. He yes. is going to do, there's a, a, a war that's going to happen and you need to be prepared. And uh, now the war is here and, uh, Although I guess Star Trek Into Darkness, well, that's a different timeline, but it would happen after. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, but the, the characters are motivations are very similar. <laughs> there, there are some really interesting things that are done here, and I like. I kudos to some of the writing for not. Um, you know, they they do lay it on a little thick at a couple points, but I think it's nicely done. Particularly, I'm thinking of the scene where Landry and Burnham are talking about the creature and about how to judge this creature based on. Basically, she makes the comment to Landry, like, you know, we're judging this creature based on, like, one thing we saw them do one time. Maybe they were at their worst. And uh, that is not anything, like, maybe that's not, like, how this creature is most of the time. Because nothing else in their history or in their biology suggests that they're this kind of creature. And, of course, that is the story of Michael Burnham, right? Like, she does everything by the book, and she is a model officer, except for one time. <laughs> Just one time. Just one Can't... little mistake. And I, I really dug that, because they could have put too much of a... Um, hung too much of a lantern on it by having somebody where, oh, she's just like you, right? Like, you know, and they don't <laughs> do that. They leave it to the, the viewer to connect the dots on that one, and I thought it was yes. nicely done. It's really just connecting one dot to another dot. It is it's two dots, that. but <laughs> uh, thumbs up on that. I thought it was a nice right. scene. They save the colony, and this is when Burnham goes back and opens the, the telescope case, and, you know, Georgiou says, you're always, I considered you my daughter, and all this stuff. Yeah, and, and there's an interesting point in there from Georgiou, too, because I think that she talks a little bit about, in her message, like, basically, like, relating to other people, and, like, she's, she's coming mm-hmm. at this from the perspective of, she, this was clearly made before the whole right. Shenzhou mission, right? So, like... She assumes Burnham has a command of her own and is looking out for people. Uh, and so, of course, there's a double-edged sword there where she is trying to like convince her, like, look out for the people under your care. And that still probably means the discovery, even if she's not the captain. But she also makes a comment about like how much of her attempt with Burnham was to instill in her like a consideration for other people. I think sort of balancing the the Vulcan part of it. Um, and I think that's what she was trying to mold her into a more, slightly more empathetic or human character. And we heard some allusions to that in the first few episodes as well. Um, and I think that's an interesting point, right? Because we have these two characters, Burnham and Lorca on this path of like, you know, the ends justifying the means. And the question is, are we going to be watching Burnham's development and realizing Lorca is wrong and that that or, is that is moral or is she gonna like sign on to that and be like you know what we have to do whatever we need to do to win the war and I enjoy that because we have this character now who could go in a couple different directions and that true. is very dynamic Klingons be crazy uh, which is a nice segue to a whole kind of there's an A plot and a B plot I suppose in this uh, story uh, the A plot is kind of help the dilithium mining uh, colony, uh, and then we've got the whole Klingon situation, uh, which I found. I kind of like the new Klingons, but I found this setup kind of befuddling. But uh, we'll we'll talk about it right now. Well, first, 
uh, Dan, Klingons, they look different. Yeah. They act different. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, there's a lot of ways you can reconcile this, depending on how invested you are, right? This could be a cult or <laughs> a sect or something. We also don't know a lot of... Or, excuse me. My knowledge of Enterprise is very low, so I can't speak to that. I can only speak to basically, you know, original series. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously, we already have the original series. Klingons look different from next generation klingons (laughs) Klingons always look different yeah so it's i mean they're recognizable to me as klingons i think i understand that they wanted to make some changes because they didn't want them to look quite as human probably right Mm -hmm. like they wanted them to look a little more alien but i feel like they're still recognizably klingons with the forehead ridges with the certain elements of the styling um so i kind of i'm okay with it um i think it's it's been interesting to watch the like how they're treating these particular characters, uh, this cult of Kalos and Takovma, um, which I think is kind of a different direction to go in. So I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. And this episode, I think, kind of it, it took it took a very different turn once again than yes. I thought it was going to do. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of interested to see where they go with this now. <laughs> Yes, I was surprised at what happened uh, to to our friends, uh, uh, worshippers of Tukumva, or followers of Tukumva, I suppose, worshippers of Kalos. Uh, I will say, I was hopeful, the third episode didn't have any Klingons in it, or no speaking Klingons. Mm. I was hopeful that they would drop the, let's do subtitles and have Klingons speak in Klingon nope, only. Nope, they love this. They fully embraced it. I thought, well, maybe it's just for the two, you know, the premiere, and they'll drop it, everyone will get the point that yes... You have, you know, reinvigorated the Klingon language, and they're they're speaking it the way it was supposed to be spoken, and it's much more guttural, and that's great. And they're like, "No, you're going to keep hearing them talk Klingon." Yep. And I was like, oh. <laughs> "I There's still a he- think they he- should do heavy investment. Heavy investment. They should have two lines in Klingon, and then they should just speak English. That's what I say. Speak English, people. This is but- America." <laughs> <laughs> That's right, targets. Uh, but they don't. Uh, so, so we're we're back on the uh, the coffin ship or, or the cathedral ship or whatever you want to call it. And uh, what is his name? Vok is. Uh, he's like, ah, we've been here for six months. We're running out of food. Uh, everything's awful. Uh, but we don't have this dilithium processor that we need, so we can't move. And my thoughts, as I was watching this, I thought to myself, self, if I were stuck on a ship uh, with communications devices. I would ring up uh, another Klingon and say, hey, could you bring us a dilithium processor? <laughs> yeah. They don't do that. <laughs> uh, six months is a long time to be sitting there. I mean, I guess they did do some pretty big damage to that ship. But, I, you know, they've basically been scavenging, I guess, all the broken all ships. The, but I only the so. Klingon ships is right. kind of the key. Which I kind of like that uh, because Valk uh, was like, uh, what? what's her name? Lorel, I guess, is, yeah. is Tukumva's second. Uh, and so now she is uh, Valk's second. And she was like, uh, hey, you know where we could find the part that we need that we could have left six months ago if we had it uh, is on that Federation ship. And he says, no, Tukumva teaches us that we must remain Klingon and reject all other things. We will not assimilate other cultures' technology into our pure Klingon engineering. Uh, and she's like, dude, that's dumb. <laughs> Just 
paraphrasing here. Uh, I will say, though, they start with, uh, what's his name, Valk, like, drawing uh, the trajectories of all the debris, and I thought that was a cool-looking scene. I, so. I did think that was pretty pretty cool. And he gets some flack from, like, his, <laughs> like his, his buddies. Like, what are you doing? We are starving to death here. You are, like, drawing on your iPad. <laughs> and he was like, it all will become clear. <laughs> I have not eaten in many months. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, and so she convinces him, basically, hey, let's go over to the the shed zoo and see what they have there uh so they do they beam over uh he plays a little uh he goes to captain georgiou's ready room which is how we know the telescope is no longer there people the telescope is no longer there i'd like that they have a um portable air atmosphere generator slash <laughs> klingon like cat tra- box cat transporter <laughs> Yes, that uh, he, he, I like their spacesuits too. They oh, their spacesuits cool. are cool with the retracting. First of all, they look mm-hmm. sweet when they're like all on, and then they do like the cool retracting thing, which I, I dig. I'm a mm-hmm. fan. So he's like, "There's nothing in this ready room. This is lame." Uh, I don't know why he even went to the ready room because yeah, they're know. looking for a dilithium processor, and that would not be in the ready room. Even we know that. <laughs> yes, uh, and uh, Laurel, who apparently went to engineering, is like, "Oh, it's down here." <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I just picture her. She's just very long suffering at this point. Like, oh, it's an engineer. Come on. Oh, man. He picked you. You're the torchbearer. He's always speaking Klingon. Like, that's. Uh, always be Klingoning. Uh, so they go down there, and she's like, hey, this is the part we need. But I should warn you when we uh, unhook it, it could blow us up. <laughs> and he's like, all right, let's try it. <laughs> Yeah, and we have, like, this kind of weird semi-touching scene where they, like, talk about why is she upset Mm -hmm. that she was passed over to become the torchbearer or whatever. And she's like, nah, I, like, prefer to, like, work behind the scenes, basically. Uh, To be on the stage. Right, and they it almost seems like they they have a moment. Um, And then he says, shall we uncouple? (laughs) Yeah. I, I like that he looked awkward. I really enjoyed that he looks like super awkward about it. <laughs> like realizing like, ooh, um, yeah, that wasn't what I meant to shoot. Yeah, ooh. And then he immediately unplugs something yeah. uh, to break that awkward moment. It worked, yeah. And they don't blow up. Uh, and they take the thing and they go back to their ship. Uh, and then they get a visitor from uh, the house. What is his name? Cole? 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 Yeah. Something. Cole. The one that was uh, like, I've had enough of your nonsense to to Tukumva, I'm leaving. Everybody's with me, right? And everybody else is like, eh, we'll stay and hear more from Tukumva. Yeah. He, and, he, okay. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, he first shows up and is like, oh, I'm totally with you guys. My girlfriend turned to me and is like, I do not trust Cole. And I was like, that's probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, he, he turns out to not be totally with them. But uh, he does uh, bring a lot of food with him because they're hungry. Uh, oh, and this is, we skip over, they apparently ate uh, Captain George. <laughs> yeah. FYI, which I thought was kind of gruesome, but uh, But right. makes sense, I guess, when you're starving. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I have read, yeah, as you have, I think, um, you read the um, uh, N.K. Jameson, the um, uh, 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 the books that I'm totally big on, the Oblo Escape books. Yes. Uh, and there is lots of talk of eating, <laughs> eating people in starvation, <laughs> like, scenarios there. So I feel like I had been, I'd been warmed up for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't uh, disgusted. They didn't show them eating right, it. Right, right. They just I talked about it. I was like, I mean, you use every part of the Starfleet captain. I think that's, that's just... <laughs> that's right. Uh, everything from, from the eyeballs to the telescope. Mm, delicious. 
delicious. Uh, and so they're hungry. It sets up that they're hungry. And here comes Cole. Uh, while they were off getting their dilithium processor, uh, he was giving them disgusting-looking food. Uh, and they're all chowed down, and apparently we find out that if you're starving, your loyalty is easy to buy with that's, food. That's, that's true. I'm not going to disagree with that. No, it's, it seems to check out. Uh, and so Cole, it's Cole, right? Cole? K-O-L? K-O-L, uh, yeah. He's like, this is my crew now. Uh, and Laurel is like, uh, yeah, that's good. And so she switched to his to his side. Valk is like, WTF, I thought you all were followers. I thought we of had Kumba. a moment. <laughs> that's right. We, we uncoupled. <laughs> Uh, and he's like, uh, Cole is like, hey, uh, Laurel, kill uh, good old Valk there. And she says, I have a better idea. And then you think, hmm, she's, she's, she's doing the old uh, triple play here. Uh, or triple cross. Triple cross, there you go. Yeah. The triple play, that's when you buy uh, <laughs> you know, telephone yeah. cable it's, it's and internet. Scott Tom Yass stays behind you. Come on. <laughs> that's right. It is uh, very reasonably priced. <laughs> <laughs> And she says, why don't we beam him into the grave of his enemy and let him die? And if I were Cole, I'd be like, no, let's just kill him. Come on. (laughs) We're Klingons. Just kill him. Just kill him. And then we'll eat him. That's what we do. Do. Yeah. And he does it, though. He's like, that sounds like a totally great idea. We'll even give him atmosphere on the ship. That's right. You've, like, saved his life now three times. (laughs) So they beam him over. Uh, We see the, the ship warp away I, that that scene made me laugh where he's like oh show me the way i've trusted you i follow you and then the ship disappears and i was like, like oh buddy oh buddy it's not going well for you but then Sorry, we man. see the familiar uh glint of a transporter and uh or a transporter beam and so we see uh what's her face laurel beam in and she says they're going to discover that i beamed over here soon uh but i stole a ship uh, let's get out of here, and uh, so, I'll take you to my house, uh, which the house name I forget. Makai. Makai, there you go. It's they're a the super sneaky they're house. The sneaky house. <laughs> they're the Slytherin, uh, I suppose, for the Harry Potter <laughs> well, fans out I there. Had, this was a little weird, if only because it felt like they set up several things that did not happen. I was 100% expecting her to like give Call the dilithium thing and then blow him up. I was expecting that as well. And that doesn't happen. And then when nope. they transport to the Shenju, I'm like, they'll rebuild the Shenju or something <laughs> and use that as their new nope. war. Nope, that's not a thing. We That was just a brief staging area while we go someplace else. Uh, they have so, the ready room set, so they're yeah, just going to use it. There's a, there's a few red herrings in there, and I'm not really sure why. I don't know. I guess they thought it was cool. Who knows? Sure. All right. Uh, and so now he's going to go back to the Klingon home world, I assume. Uh, and he has to... Uh, the matrons of this house are going to teach mm. him the secrets that, uh, that he never knew existed. But he has to give up everything in order to learn them. I, it doesn't really make any sense. It's very mystical. We'll find out, I guess, at yeah. some point. And then that's, that's, that's the end of the Klingon part. And so that is uh, the fourth episode of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. Mm. Mm. Powerful stuff. Mm. Powerful title. So what did you think of this episode, Dad, overall, in, in context of the other three episodes? I really liked it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I had my, I had my like, eyebrow-raising moments, but like the show, the one thing the show has done is like, I have been... 
I feel like I have been really kind of glued to the TV when it's on. And like, there's a lot of shows where I feel like I pay half attention or it's like, yeah, I kind of know this is going to be formulaic or whatever. And I really have so little idea where this show is going that I am just wrapped every week trying to watch the progression of the plot. And certainly the episode, this is a show that feels very bingeable to me in that so many of the episodes seem to just flow kind of naturally into the subsequent episode, right? Like this episode, even we get the context at the beginning, it takes place a day after the previous episode. Uh, and so it does really feel like a continuation. And in some ways, like the first two episodes were one episode and like the second two episodes were kind of like their own little episode. And so I, we haven't quite figured out like, what is, what is the normal for this show? Like what is the standard operating procedure for this show? And so uh, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't have any, um, you know, preformed opinions or whatever. And so I just went in it, enjoying it. And I really liked it. I mean, there's some, we're developing some of the characters a little bit more. Um, we've got like interesting moral questions being discussed here. I guess, you know, the Klingon parts perhaps are not quite as compelling to me, but I feel like we're going, we've set aside some of the stuff from the first episode and we're going in a different direction with that now. So I'm kind of intrigued to see how that plays out as we have this larger war going on in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's room for improvement. I mean, but I, you know, I feel like I'm solidly in like the B plus A minus territory here. <laughs> I agree with that assessment. And I think that, uh, I also find the Klingon-centric parts to be the least compelling. But now, at least with this twist, it'll be interesting to see. It seems like they're they're sending uh, Valk on this kind of redemption path to, you know, gather his followers because it seemed like Tecumva had done all the heavy lifting in the first two episodes and everybody was on board. It turns out, not so much. So uh, he needs to uh, figure his stuff out and unite the Empire uh, and then eventually lose the war. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> the Klingons do not win, but they do unite uh, if, if they're following the canon of Star Trek. So I guess that's good. Uh, but yeah, I liked it. I liked it all. Thumbs up. I am sad that Landry died. Um, yeah. I, I would I would have liked to have seen more of her. Um, well, maybe she'll come back. I don't know. She's just a blue shirt. So, you know. That's right. They're all blue shirts, Dan. <gasps> they're what? all blue shirts. <laughs> Uh, well, there you go. That is uh, the fourth episode and our thoughts. Uh, live long and prosper. Dan, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Good to be here.